This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where we know it's summer, but it's never too early to start planning for Christmas. And for Christmas this year, as far as Lakers fans are concerned, don't think anyone will mind if Santa leaves us all with a stocking of coal. (laughs) A stocking of coal swider. And that stocking is going way up. (laughs) Well, anyways... I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, hello. Oh, hi. Hey there. Thank you for joining me on this beautiful random summer day in August. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me today, Jonathan. I am doing fine. (laughs) Well, fine is just how we like you and just how we like our G League and draft prospects. (laughs) So for today, we won't be talking about Kyrie Irving or the Indiana trade package or the terrible Julius Randle New York Knicks package or LeBron James extension or whatever else is currently going on in Lakers land. Today's show will be a standalone episode where we shall be diving into the Lakers Summer League standouts this past July. We did a mini version of this with Alan where we talked about Max Christie and Cole Swider, but today we'll go more in-depthly into both of those prospects, plus also break down what we've seen from Jay Huff and Scottie Pippen Jr. as well, backed up with some Summer League stats. But before we get into all of that, we'd love it if you guys could please take 30 seconds out of your time to give us a 5-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, let us know how we're doing, or throw us out a topic, idea, or question that you want us to cover on the pod. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app, or if you've already five-starred us there, thank you by the way, then please head over to the Spotify app and click the five-star button at the top of our page on that app too. We're trying to hit 100 five-stars on Spotify before the season starts, so your contributions will be greatly appreciated. All right, with that said, Tommy, let's get into some of these G League draft prospects of the Lakers and what we saw from them in Summer League and beyond. Tommy, let's talk about... Jay Huff first. Um, You know, I talked with Alan about Max Christie and Cole Swider, and we'll get to them as well. But uh, since we've already talked about those two, let's uh, start from the bottom and make our way to the top. So Jay Huff, he played four Summer League games total, two in the California Classic, two in the Vegas Summer League. He did have to go into health and safety protocols, which cut down his Summer League time. But in his two games in the California Classic, he led all players in PER with a 29.16 rating. Now, there were only like four, six teams in the California Classic, but regardless, there's that stat. He also led everyone in the California Classic in blocks. He averaged 2.5 blocks a game. In Vegas, he led the Lakers in blocks with 3.5 blocks a game, seven blocks total, and led the entire Vegas Summer League in blocks as well with that same number tied with Taco Fall. Over those four total Summer League games, he averaged 10.5 points, five rebounds, two assists, three blocks. 15 of 26 from the field, 58%. 4 of 8 from 3, 50%, averaging 1-3 a game. To me, he just displayed very good 
shot-blocking timeliness and proved himself to be a very effective and smart rim deterrent whether or not he got the block. And he also showed off some pretty old man sneaky athleticism. Like, who knew Jay Huff loved to do the DeAndre Jordan reverse alley-oop jam? He, like, likes that better than regular dunks. <laughs> he does. It's crazy. And to give some context into Jay Huff, um, the blocks aren't a fluke. In fact, in Jay Huff's senior year with Virginia, he was second in the ACC in blocks per game. He averaged 2.6 blocks that senior year. And then in the G League last year, Jay Huff was fourth in average blocks with 2.4. In terms of total blocks, he was second to just Taco Fall. He had 68 blocks to Taco Fall's 71 blocks. But all that to say that Jay Huff's shot block timing is impeccable. And then the flashes he's shown as being a big man spacer were very intriguing to me. He hit four of eight in the summer league. And I know he struggled in the G League. He only shot 29% in the G League last year from three. But I kind of chalk that up to just natural adjustment, getting used to the NBA three-point line and just, you know, default rookie growing pain. So I don't even think Jay Huff is just a theoretical big man spacer because if you look at his senior year with Virginia, he was used as a legit pick-and-pop threat. He was running off screens as a big man, almost like a Brooke Lopez type. And he shot 39% from three, hitting 1.23s a game that season. So they actually used him as a legitimate big man spacer. And so you can sort of project his rollout to be that guy uh, with the proper development down the line. So with all that said, what are your thoughts on what you saw from Jay Huff? Jay Huff, we were definitely, I think, both excited about when we sort of learned about him last season. He has made a lot of leaps. Like the tools were all there. And in fact, when you looked at the measurables and you looked at his numbers from Virginia, it was almost like surprising that he hadn't been picked up. Because it's like seven one guys with long wingspan, and what is his wingspan like seven four? It's like it's yeah. pretty insane. And then not just the fact that he has the long wingspan, but he clearly knows how to use it. And he had a ton of blocks at Virginia. He had you know a great outside shooting percentage. Um, and then you sort of saw him play last year, and it was like okay, I kind of get why maybe he hasn't stuck, but. He looks different now. You know what I mean? He clearly has worked on himself physically because, you know, you say the old man maneuvering, but I feel like he's gotten a lot better. Like his stance is, is seemed to improved. He's not getting mm-hmm. like completely destroyed off the perimeter, you know, with, with smaller guards. And, and he is like, I mean, he takes up a lot of, he covers a lot of sort of volume, you know, in the paint, like, not just spatially, like not just physically, like he's not a big, big, strong guy yet. Although I think he's a lot stronger than he he was last year, but his, he's always got his arms extended. And the thing is about him too, he went to like a very defensive minded college. So, yeah. you know, that those instincts were sort of developed there at a young age, which I think is going to help him long-term. I think he has a legit spot in the league. If he, especially if he continues to progress, because He's only like 22 or 23. So if he continues to progress, like sort of the way he made the leap physically from year one to year two, I think there's a lot of um, room for improvement for him. And and I'm excited about him as a prospect moving forward. I don't know that he really fits this year uh, just because we have Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones already on the roster, but I like him as a long-term fit. 
Yeah, I would say the Lakers should at least lock him up to that two-way spot because yeah. Thomas Bryant is not exactly a beacon of health and neither exactly. is Anthony Davis, you know? I mean, maybe things change if we get a Miles Turner, but regardless, you could always use... I mean, in, in in some senses, he's almost like what Thomas Bryant was to us like three or four years ago. You know, you just try and retain the rights to him in some capacity till the point when you need him. But yeah, I almost describe... I mean, what you said about Huff, what, what impresses me the most is he seems to effectively use his physical tools to their utmost advantage, right? He's very economical and efficient with his movements, and that's why you see such great shot-blocking timing from his end. But at the same time, it's like whether or not he gets that stat or the physical block, he's like deterring shots left and right, and people are scared to go in the paint. Granted, this is summer league, but it's still... I don't know what the advanced analytics are for rim protection, but I would imagine he was like right up there because... He was altering shots, almost every shot, anytime like a guard went in there or even a mid-range jump shot was taken. So yeah, I was very impressed with Jay Huff. And, you know, I describe my comp for him as a fusion between Frank Kaminsky because of the three-point shooting and the awkward way that Frank Kaminsky sort of moves but can also put the ball on the floor if he needs to. Mm -hmm. So a fusion between Frank Kaminsky and also Isaiah Hardenstein. Hardenstein in the sense that just like Jay Huff, Hardenstein's actually sneakily athletic and is an actual lob threat and vertical spacer the way that Jay Huff has shown. And all of a sudden he'll surprise you with this one-handed tomahawk lob jam or the reverse jam that Huff has been prone to showing. And then also Hardenstein is an excellent, also has excellent shot block timing ability as well as I think Hardenstein was like in the top three of rim protection statistics last year. And I feel like you know, in the best of circumstances, Jay Huff can be that sort of guy. So a fusion between Frank Kaminsky and, and Isaiah Hardenstein, uh, maybe if everything works out. With that said, let's take it to break. When we return, let's talk a little bit about Scottie Pippen Jr. And then you can also touch on Max and Cole. We will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back. Tommy, what are your thoughts on Scottie Pippen Jr., who right now is assuming that second two-way spot? We're not sure how long he'll have that spot for, given everything we said about Jay Huff, but he had sort of an up-and-down summer league, I would say. On the one end, he averaged 2.6 steals in the Vegas Summer League, which led the Lakers team and was fourth overall in the entire Vegas Summer League. He definitely showed like a scrappiness and fight on the defensive end that was kind of refreshing to see. Yep. In some senses, he reminded me of like Dennis Schroeder in terms of the want to always body up a primary initiator and whatnot. So I like the competitiveness and scrappiness on the defensive end. He's actually pretty sturdy and strong. He's got a pretty good frame, even though he's small. I was most surprised by how often he'd attack the paint and absorb contact and get these and one layups and stuff. In that sense, and I've used this comp before, he very much reminds me of Jordan Farmar. He's pretty quick and athletic and fearless when he drives, sort of the same way that Jordan Farmar was. And Whenever Farmar came into the game for the Lakers, for better or for worse, he always made his presence known, you know, with his speed and dynamic play. And in, in a lot of senses, Scottie Pippen Jr. was that. I know a lot of people like to say Scottie Pippen Jr. reminds them of Tyus Jones. And I can see that in the similar jump shot mechanics and the ability to, you know, potentially be a three-level scorer. But he's not the same as Tyus Jones when it comes to being a floor general at all. To me, he's more of a score-first guard who can throw some fancy passes here and there. But if you look at Scottie Pippen Jr.'s time in college, he only averaged 4.5 assists and averaged like 2.5 turnovers. So his assist-to-turnover ratio as a guard wasn't that great. 
And yeah, I think he in college, he was 4.3 assists to 3.2 turnovers over three years. To go back to my Farmar comp, Farmar at UCLA averaged 5.2 assists to 3.8 turnovers over two years. So that's why I kind of linked them together because neither were Tyus Jones level of playmaking ability. In fact, Tyus Jones was number one in the league last year in assist to turnover ratio as a guard. I think he was like his assisted turnover ratio was something ridiculous, like six or something. Oh wow, that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Scotty Pippen Jr. has that type of floor leadership. But regardless, I thought he was a pretty solid guard for the Lakers. But again, right now I'd kind of throw him into the Jordan Farmar changing the pace sort of guard off the bench role and maybe even like a Shabazz Napier when it comes to scoring in three levels from the mid-range and three-point shot off the dribble yada yada but yeah what are your thoughts on Scottie Pippen Jr. because for me while I like everything he's brought to the table for this season and what the Lakers have already constructed with their roster I don't think he's a need and I feel like he's gonna go the way of Mac McClung, sort of, where you kind of keep him in the South with the South Bay Lakers. Maybe he wins Rookie of the Year in the G League the same way Mac McClung does, but you're kind of under time constraints where you're not probably going to be able to evaluate this guy as well as you could if you were under different circumstances, i.e. not win-now circumstances. So that just may be the unfortunate set of circumstances that Scottie Pippen Jr. is in, not to say that he can't be a capable backup or find a role on an NBA team. But for the Lakers right now, I just kind of don't see it happening. But what, yeah, what are your overall thoughts on SPJ? So I think like when I, when I saw him play in the summer league, I, I started to understand more why they took the shot on him and gave him that two-way spot so quickly after the draft. He is not a guy, you know, he's a 22-year-old prospect, so it's not like you're making a huge upside home run sort of swing here. And he's not a guy whose like college stats really like jump off the page or really any of his college like advanced stats or you know anything of that nature. Um, but when you watch him play, I actually really like the Schroeder comp you gave. It's like there's not there's like a certain personality of guard that like comes into the league, like the TJ McConnell, Dennis Schroeder, who like you know Jose Alvarado, like from day one in the league, that's their identity is they're going to pick you up full court every single time and hound you on the perimeter. I was like, I think like you hit the nail on the head. It was, it was refreshing to see because we haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. And so certainly not last year, we were not seeing that, that level of defense being played, but you know, there are some flaws here, right? Like the shot is going to need some work, although it's not as bro. It's not broken, right? It's just, he's, he's going to need more reps on that. To add context, he shot 35% from the field and 22% from three. So. Right, right. He didn't have great shooting numbers for sure, but his college shooting numbers were mediocre. You know, yeah. they weren't like and amazing. He's, he's very capable. Bad. Yeah, yeah, he's capable. The, the big concern with him is the height, right? And and like I think you hope that because of his sort of speed and his explosiveness in, in terms of – maybe explosiveness is the wrong word, but explosive bursts that he has with his speed um, – mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, like you said, the gritty kind of nature that he plays with can maybe overcome the fact that he's pretty small. Um, but that would be the limiting factor. I, to me, I think what they saw was, you know, they had Mac, who did great for us last year, looked great again, by the way, this year in the, in the summer league, and then obviously ended up with that deal with the Warriors. They, I think they really liked Mac as a prospect, but it's hard to justify 
nowadays getting a 6-2 guard who doesn't play defense, right? It's it's not like these guys are Allen Iverson where you just like live with the consequences of what they're doing defensively because they're so, you know, adept offensively. These guys are solid players who probably deserve a spot on an NBA roster somewhere. I just don't think that like we can necessarily justify bringing in a 6-2 guard. I think that like, you know, if we move Scotty just to our regular G League team, I sort of think it's going to be like the um I'm blanking on this guy's name, the Gonzaga Ayayi who we uh signed as our two-way oh, yeah. guy last year. Joel yeah, yeah. I don't think there's going to be a huge market for a 6-2 rookie point guard who was undrafted. So I think you can get away with sort of stashing him there for a year because I frankly would really like to see that two-way spot go to Jay Huff. I know that we've done yeah. this thing historically where we try to use one two-way spot on a bigger guy and one two-way spot on a smaller guy, and we already have Cole, Cole Swider, who's, I feel like, a lock for that two-way spot, his two-way spot, at six, and he's 6'9", but... We have so many guards on this team already, and you know, getting a veteran guard is never going to be a problem because there's so many veteran guards. As we saw last year, as we went through like, you know, the whole, uh, we went through like ten of them. It felt like right, but getting a, a guy like Jay Huff is a lot more rare. And so, if we're going to give ourselves a little more protection, I would lean that way. But you know, overall, I was impressed with what I saw with Scotty. Yeah, I agree. And and to be clear, Exhibit 10, he'll probably get an Exhibit 10 contract. But I think the Exhibit 10 contract incentivizes. I mean, I certainly don't yeah, know. Yeah, so I think it incentivizes players to play with the G League affiliate because it gives them if a player on an Exhibit 10 is waived and ends up with the team's G League affiliate, they get a $50,000 bonus if they report for at least 60 days. So they just get a lot of money if um, they end up playing for the G League affiliate. So even if Fabian White Jr. or Jay Huff gets waived for some reason or doesn't make the regular season or, or gets a two-way deal, if they play for our G League affiliate, they'll get more money. So it incentivizes them to play for the South Bay Lakers the upcoming year. So if Scottie Pippen Jr. gets converted to an Exhibit 10 contract, we're also telling him, Hey, we want you to play for the South Bay Lakers, and here's a little 50k bonus to do so. You know, so or that goes for Jay Huff if he doesn't make the two-way spot. So, I uh, just wanted to add that caveat or add that specificity. All right, Tommy, we don't have to dive too deeply into this guy because he's just he was so good. But Cole Swider, 15.4 points per game Swider in Vegas no led the team. Swider, no sliding, baby. 50% from the field, 50% from three, hitting 19 of 38. My goodness. <laughs> I know. And if you add the California Classic, he hit 28 of 53 from three overall, <laughs> the entire summer league. And these were like mostly, they were, this was not him just like camping out in the corner. This was him like I curling know. up screens, like taking contested shots. Like it was, it was very impressive to watch. This is him like stopping on a diamond transition and all of a sudden just pulling up and raining it down. And this is without without superstar gravity spacing for him. So 53% from three-point land overall, hitting 3.5 a game. I mean, you can already see the vision with this guy, right? We talked about Darvin Ham's uh, offensive systems with Bud on the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, this guy will play the Kyle Korver role once he's ready, right? So I was very impressed by Cole Swider. Obviously, he needs to work on his defense, and I'm not sure if that'll ever come around. It's great that he's 6'9", 6'8", 6'9", 
but he just lacks the foot speed <laughs> to compete with some of these guys. He's just getting blown by left and right. He has shown an ability to get that, you know, chase down block, which is cool. If he can get stronger, that'll help. But keeping all that into account, Tommy, this is why I compare him to Jason Capono. Because at the end of the day, Jason Capono lacked the athleticism and the defensive ability to really be a true two-man player. And even if you compare him to Kyle Korver, I think Kyle Korver was a really good team defender, actually. And I think it was more athletic. So not to say that his best case scenario is Jason Capono, but that that's a really good floor to be at because Jason Capono was a career 43% three-point shooter, a back-to-back three-point all-star champion, and played a role for very competitive teams. And so, yeah, what are your thoughts on Cole Swider? I really, really am excited about Cole as like a long, long-term player. First of all, with the new rules... I say new, right? It makes me sound like an old man. They changed this many years ago. <laughs> but, you know, I guess, like, for context, when they first started the two-way thing, right, there was a maximum number of days that you could spend with the big league team. Like, it wasn't not what it is now, which is, like, 50 games. It was literally, like, days. So you would end up in these wonky scenarios where, like, the guys were, like, they could only come to practice for a certain number. Anyway, irrelevant. But... The fact that he's going to be able to develop with the big league team and also get reps and minutes in real games with the G League team is really exciting to me. I think, you know, there's a tendency to overstate what guys do in preseason, but what we saw him do in preseason is replicable in the NBA. And if you mm-hmm. if you listen to any of his interviews, which I no- normally don't do, but I was so curious to like sort of get more in- info about this guy. He put up these absurd shooting numbers in his last year at Syracuse, like while starting the season, shooting something like, I think he said he was like two for 30 to start the season (laughs) and he still finished like over 40, like well over 40% Mm. from three. So like he got hot. He's continued to stay hot. He's just been a consistently phenomenal shooter. And look, I don't want to like, this is where you find these types of guys, right? Like, you know, when the Kyrie stuff has come up, like Joe Harris's name has been thrown around. Joe Harris, who won the three-point shooting contest and has been regarded as, like, one of the better three-point shooters in the NBA, certainly one of the best gravities for a three-point shooter in the NBA. He was the second-round pick who was cut and bounced around and finally found his way, right? It is not unreasonable that we found ourselves, like, one of the future best three-point shooters in the league as an undrafted player just because he has certain deficiencies. He's a little bit older, right? So maybe that's why he goes undrafted. He, um, you know, he doesn't uh, really have the defensive game yet that is going to be required for him to have a real NBA career. But in terms of a just pure specialist, this guy is on the track. And I'm really, really excited to not just see like where he ends up developing and like where he ends up like two, three years down the line. But even this year, like he's going to get reps in games with LeBron. And I'm just curious to see what that looks like. Um, because I'm, I've been very, very impressed. And although he doesn't have the defensive skill yet, I, I think he's got the motor, um, mm-hmm. and, and the want to get better. So I'm, I'm just, I can't say enough good things. I can't believe, honestly, this is like going to be, I think, one of those cases, and maybe I'll end up eating these words, but I think this is going to be one of these cases where we look back and it's like, okay, I know that he had a few deficiencies, but how did this dude go undrafted and go under the radar shooting this well in a game that currently values shooting so much? Yeah, good point. And 
Isn't it insane how he's able to keep his form and look unbothered at every single yes. attempt he takes? <laughs> like, that's why, I, that's why I liken him to Jason Capono, because it looks like they're shooting in an empty gym. Yes. But no, they're like... They're they're moving off to the side. They're taking two dribbles in, but he's always able to like perfectly square up somehow. Yeah. I, I don't know how, but it, it, he's unfazed. Even if he like hits an air ball, I think it's because he trusts the mechanics of his own jump shot. That you know, if he gets blocked, he gets blocked. If he air balls, he air balls. But more often than not, he's gonna drain that thing. It's very impressive. There's not that many guys six nine plus who can hit threes like that, and. The guys who do, you know, you look at, like, your Joe Harris is maybe 6'8", but he's, like, a bigger guy, you know, still. Like, Joe Harris, guys like Davis Bertans, I mean, these are, like, 16, $17 million a year players. So, Cole will have a future in this league, and hopefully we can, like, lock him up at a low number for many years. Yeah, and just for reference, Joe Harris was drafted number 33. He's 6'7", 6'8". Jason Capono was drafted 31. He's 6'8". Cole Swider, undrafted, but you could see him. He probably should have been a second-round draft pick. Um, Okay, close this out on Max Christie really quick, Tommy. He shot 29% from the field, 22% from three in Vegas. (laughs) I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, I think the Cali Classic was even worse. He did shoot 87% from the line, though, so that kind of portends to him potentially being a legitimate solid shooter down the line. I don't think the Summer League system did him any favors, especially with the ball in Scottie Pippen Jr.'s hands, not to, you know, knock on SPJ at all, but they didn't really put him at the center of the action much of the time until the latter games in the Summer League. So SPJ was kind of allowed to run the show for better or for worse. I do think Max Christie looked and seemed a lot more comfortable offensively in the later games. He hit some threes, showed a little shake getting to the basket, even hit some pull-up mid-range jump shots off the dribble. My whole thing with him is... it. I just sorely question this decision to go for a project at the shooting guard spot and not at the wing position, because while he has shown such a such a brilliant fundamental, like such brilliant fundamentals on the defensive end, even at his young age, I'm just not sure if we'll ever see that come to fruition in time for this to make sense for this particular team. Whereas if he had gone with a six eight six nine wing who has those same defensive fundamentals, like a Jabari Walker. I feel like you may have been able to use a guy like Jabari Walker sooner in a break glass in case of emergency type situation than you would a Max Christie because he still has a lot of work to do with regards to his physique and just offensive confidence and whatnot. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on Max Christie? Ah, it's He is obviously like an interesting prospect, right? And I have always historically been of the camp that if you can get a guy who was a very recent and I'm talking two years ago, right? High school, five-star recruit, like near top of his class when he was coming out of high school going to Michigan state. If you can get that kind of guy in the second round and just as a flyer and see if your development team can get him to what all the scouts thought he would end up being, um, then great. You know, then you potentially got yourself a mid first round talent, for a second round pick. And frankly, that's what like a lot of scouts said going into this draft, right? Like had Max Christie stayed one more year, maybe he would be a lotto pick, maybe a late lotto pick next year, right? I just think that he is so far away. It's going to be so hard. And you, with these types of prospects, right? You always wonder like, is he two is he just always going to be like two years away from being two years away? Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that's the risk. And I the one can the one thing I really liked is it does seem like defensively 
he's like he looks good. Like mm-hmm. his instincts are there, and I don't have any concern about how he might develop on that end. Offensively, he looks like just like a newborn gazelle. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. he moves around like he's barely ever played basketball. His handle is like very wonky at this point. Um his shot, although he's got the good I feel like one thing I get concerned about with the with the stroke and people like love to point out like look at that form and look at that stroke. You know who else had a good stroke? Wesley Johnson, okay? And that guy <laughs> was every time he shot the ball, it looked beautiful coming out of his hands and it would clank off the rim. And that never improved after ten years that that guy was in the league. So also, can I can I add this point with regards yeah. to his shot? And I think you can probably relate to this too because I remember playing basketball with you and you can kind of get hot from three-point land too. And I consider myself a shooter as well. But you know that as a shooter, when you don't have your shot going, what do you typically do to try and give it a chance? I know a lot of people have been commenting like, oh, look at Max Christie's super high arc. For me, as a shooter, when I, when I don't have the range or I feel like nothing's working for me on a particular day, the way that I give my shot a chance is by adding a lot of arc to it. So when I see Max Christie hit these ridiculously arced three-point shots or floaters, not to say that that's not how he naturally shoots it, but part of me is like, is it because nothing's working for him and he just he's just trying to, you know, throw it to the rafters and see if it works right now, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. So that's the concern that I would have, right? Because if he if he's just going to be a defensive player, I mean, look, he's 6-6, he has good length, that's fine. Um, but if you're hoping for him to become something more than that, I just, it's going to take a lot of time. I, I sort of feel like, you know, Darvin Ham, Chris Gent, um, these guys are like such developmental types of guys. Uh, we obviously, we have Phil Handy who was just extended, um, which is great. A part of me wonders, like, did they just give these guys a little bit of deference and say, like, okay, what project do you want? Um, the weird thing is, obviously, like, the rumors where we were looking at Nemhard, who's, like, you know, also with that pick, who went a couple picks earlier to Indiana, and Nemhard is, like, a lot more of a NBA-ready type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I'm excited. The thing is, Christie's not going to do anything for us this year, so... The the real test will be like, what does this guy look like coming into summer league next year? I think that's going to to tell us a lot more than than anything we're going to probably see this year. So you know, one of our concerns with his contract is, oh, Rob Palinka did this thing again where he didn't leave any room in the mid level. Yeah, which by the way, I saw you tweeted about this once, and some people got very upset. I know. And I was like, this is literally an NBA talking point, like across the league. Not this is not just us bringing this up. Well, what's crazy is literally every single other team did that. <laughs> they right, used a right, portion right. of their mid level to sign their guys to cheap three or four year deals, and it's just like it just makes economical sense. Now. You know, the counterpoint to that is, well, seeing as to how Max Christie looks, I don't think we'll have any problems re-signing him to that third deal at a cheap price. But I will say, though, on that same end, it's almost like you wish the Lakers had still locked themselves into a three-year deal, at least because they have a little bit more time to evaluate him. Because I think this is going to end up being a wasted pick, Tommy, because it's only a two-year deal. Are we going to come out of year two having any semblance of 
where this guy stands in the league because I could easily just yeah. see us like cutting him and saying he's using up a roster it's spot. It's going to be weird. I mean, literally, it's going to be the case that like we get this guy in a two year deal and his third year in the NBA, he's going to be like competing for a roster spot against yeah. other guys who, you know, who we're bringing in who are going to be like his same age, actually. Yeah. So, and, and for me, you know, I don't want to knock the scouting department because you give them the benefit of the doubt every single time based off of their track record the last couple years. But I feel like we've been so sorely lacking in just drafting a random 6'9 dude who's lanky as hell and has the tools. And in a draft where you had so many of those guys going undrafted and Jabari Walker, I think, went in the late 50s. It's like, or I think he was like late 40s or late 50s. But why didn't we come out of the draft with one of those guys, you know? Yeah. Cole Swider is 6'9", but again, he's not like the freakish athletic sort of Bruno Caboclo type that you can at least say he's a project, but we understand the thinking there. All right. Well, with that said, that should do it for this episode. We hope you guys are all braving the August heat and August NBA withdrawals malaise well. I'm sure all of you are thirsty for some substantial Lakers trade talk and are starting to see mirages in the desert, but hold fast, stay lit. We're almost there. So till next time and till the next big domino falls, we will catch you guys later. Tommy, see you, dude. Peace. Peace. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.